Thank you, sister. Would you take your Bible and go over to Exodus 12 and uh, Hebrews 12 as well? Uh, just a coincidence on the chapter number. Uh, we're going to do some things a little different this morning. Uh, it's a huge privilege. I was speaking with Brother Escobar on Friday. Uh, what a privilege. What a blessing for the, the last day of the year to land on a Sunday. And uh, I hope that didn't irritate your plans. Like, uh, you know, uh, we always do this on New Year's and, and maybe you do some of those things, but what a privilege to end the year with God's people uh, gathered together to worship, to sing, to grow, to align our hearts with His. And uh, truthfully, that's what church ought to be, right? It's not a social club. Uh, fellowship is spiritual, though. Let me just say that. Tonight is a spiritual time. Uh, we'll have a spiritual time enjoying each other's company and laughter and trivia. That is a spiritual thing. And so don't think uh, that, that, you know, fun can't be spiritual. It absolutely can. Uh, but it is a privilege to come together to align our hearts with Scripture. And that's our hope today. Uh, this morning, I really want to seize the opportunity where this, this chapter of the year in our lives, in our church, is coming to a close. We're going to change the theme, like I said, in about two weeks from now. And as we close out, uh, this is an awesome opportunity. This holiday uh, of New Year's is a great opportunity. Now, when you think about the Western calendar, the Gregorian calendar, as many would call it, uh, there's a lot of man-made holidays on that calendar that serve a pretty good purpose, right? They're not bad things. Mother's Day is an awesome thing. It's just not a biblical thing, right? You understand where I'm going? I'm certainly not saying it's a bad thing. It's a great thing. It's just not a God thing, right? Uh, Father's Day is a good holiday to have. Thanksgiving is a wonderful holiday to have. It really focuses our heart's attention on giving thanks. And they're all good ideas. Like I said, many of these holidays, uh, they're good ideas, but they're not exactly God's idea. Well, what we see when it comes to New Year's is that New Year's actually was God's idea. And uh, I'm going to show you that in Exodus chapter 12. Would you go there? We'll give you a little background. Israel at this time in Exodus 12 is in bondage in Egypt. And uh, they have no freedom. They essentially have no autonomy. They have no identity. Uh, they have no bank system, no money, no homeland, no identity. And they have, interestingly enough, no calendar either. And uh, they don't have particular holidays or a start of the year uh, at this particular moment. And in Exodus chapter number 12, God comes to them, and this is a, a huge moment in their deliverance story in Exodus 12, and he gives them the first ever in the Bible recorded New Year moment. And I want you to see it. There's a lot of beautiful parallels between the first ever institution of New Year's and our current situation today. So look at Exodus 12.1. It says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month. Now, for those of you who might not know, this month is not January for the Jewish people. It's the month of Nisan, uh, which lands in March and April in our, our Western calendar. And God says, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months, New Year's. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, in the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them, and you'll probably notice what happens, every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And what's beautiful is as this text goes on, and I'd encourage you to read it sometime, as this text goes on, God institutes Passover as the first holy day uh, of their calendar and their brand new calendar at that. This holy day would become what we would call a holiday, and that's the etymology of the word holiday. It comes from holy day, and the holy day or holiday of Passover for 1,455, give or take some years there, this Passover holiday would hold the place until Jesus would come and break bread with his disciples and die as the perfect lamb without blemish. And this first Passover, this first new year was, and this is important, here's where we come in, 
was a new start opportunity for God's people. It was a new opportunity at identity for the people of God back in Egypt. It was a new opportunity for freedom, for resetting and returning to the place that they had belonged to uh, in the promised land. For the Jews, their New Year's was in spring. For us in our culture and calendar, it happens now in, in the winter months. But it's clear to me that the Lord intended the very first New Year to serve as a resetting moment for his people. And I think it's totally appropriate. Well, we're not Jewish and we're not coming out of Egyptian bondage. I think it's totally appropriate for us to view New Year with the same kind of resetting, refreshing mentality. And many of us, when it comes to New Year's, just by, by way of the secular flow of life, well, everybody does it, not just Christians, but we all kind of tend to look at the New Year with that same idea, uh, kind of intact. We'll make physical goals and financial goals, and those are all good. We ought to be ever improving as people. But the very first New Year ever recorded in the Bible was a spiritual season of resetting. It was a new day for God's people to follow him in a fresh and anew to experience, this is important, freedoms that they had not previously known. They were about to walk out of bondage. And again, obviously, we're not on an Exodus journey out of Egyptian bondage, but I think in many ways, we can look at the new year uh, as an opportunity. It serves as an opportunity for us to maybe have an Exodus, not from Egypt, but from some kind of bondage we experienced in the previous year. And that's the first New Year's when you look at it in the Bible. This morning, I want to take some inventory of ourselves and how we did in 2023. And I know the, there's going to be a bit of a change in the mood of the service this morning, and I, I don't want to craft that or engineer it, but I want us to take some time in just a moment. I'm going to, my, my sermon's very different from this morning and probably different from any sermon I've preached. I'm going to ask you a lot of questions and I'm going to give you actual time to think on those questions. I would encourage you, we're going, to, we're going to go over seven or eight different questions today, some this morning and some tonight. I would encourage you perhaps to even write them down so that you can take inventory alone by yourself this week as you pray through them. I will say that stepping on the scale, as it were, can be an uncomfortable experience, right? That's why a lot of people don't step on the scale, right? That's why the gym is going to be jam-packed January 2nd, right? Because people naturally in a new year, they start owning what they did. They start owning Christmas, right? They start owning all the sugar cookies and they step on the scale. They look themselves in the mirror and say, I got to change. Well, if we're going to do that for our finances, which I'm suggesting we do, we're going to do that for our weight. If we're going to make New Year's resolutions and resolve to live differently, we, we, we should do that spiritually, but in order to do that spiritually, and here's the hard part, we have to know how we did already. If we're going to do better next year, we got to know and face how we did last year. I mean, I've been thinking about this a ton this year, maybe more this year than any other year. I've been thinking about my own life as a pastor and as a husband, and man, there's some areas, and, and if I'm ever going to be better as a pastor or better as a husband, then I got to know where my baseline is. I got to know how I'm doing. What areas did I succeed in? What areas did I fail miserably at? And that requires getting on the scale. That requires looking in the mirror. If you intend to fix a problem, this is all very basic. We understand this. If we intend to fix a problem, we have to know what the problem is, right? Uh, I was reminded of this. I'm, I'm not a mechanic, right? You all know that. There's a couple things I don't do uh, really, really well. Uh, there's a couple things I do really, really bad. I'll say it that way. Running on that list, okay? And uh, auto work, right? If I had to pick between two of those, I'd go to the dentist. That's just the facts. Uh, not a huge fan of automotive work. And uh, this week, I got in my wife's van. Actually, last week. And I heard this horrid noise. Just this absolute... Like, did you run over the neighbor's cat? Which would have been a better thing. Um, but I'm just kidding. Uh, but this noise was coming out. There was smoke coming out. There was this lovely smell of burned rubber. And uh, so I did what any good husband would do. I stopped the car. I got out in front of it. I opened it. And I stood there. 
Some of you are like, I could fix it. Good. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> I, I don't know what I'm looking at. And so I stood there and I kind of had a somewhat of a logical guess. I, the, the noise happened when I turned. So I assumed it was the muffler. I'm just kidding. I assumed it was the power steering pump. And uh, so I did a little bit of YouTube. Praise God for YouTube, right? And uh, I looked it up. The YouTube video was only 12 minutes to replace the power steering pump. And so I was like, okay, it's under the 15 minute threshold. So what I did was I didn't want to do it. So I called the mechanic shop. And looked at the part. The part was $140. I'm like, okay, I can swing that. And so probably it's going to cost me $300. Well, I called the auto shop. They wanted $900 to replace a part that was $140. And the YouTube video was only 15 minutes. So I was like, okay. But here's the thing. I wasn't totally sure if that's what needed fixing. I shot in the dark. I asked, I asked some people. You did some YouTube. And it just so happens... I got it right, okay? And I was able to replace it, and praise God, I'm now officially a mechanic, and uh, please don't call me. Um, but here's the thing. Uh, let me say, for, for me, automotive work is daunting, and it's very difficult, and I'm really glad that I replaced the right part, because otherwise I, just, I was out 150 bucks and a bunch of time. And then I'd have to replace something else. I'd have to replace something else. But here's the thing. Life is a lot harder than automotive work. But if we're going to replace the right thing, we have to know that's what's causing the problem. If we're going to fix the, the noise and the smell that's coming out of our life or our marriage, we've got to know what do we need to address. We can't just start taking belts off and pulling off pulleys and loosening bolts unless we know this is what's wrong. And the only way we're going to know what's wrong is if we face them, if we look at them in the mirror, if we take some genuine time of introspection and, and asking the Holy Spirit to bathe over us and letting his word bathe over us. And so this morning, I want each of us to engage some humility uh, on purpose. Because again, I'm not attacking anybody. I've asked all these questions to myself. I've stood face to face with these things myself this week and I intend to this following week. But the Holy Spirit more than likely is gonna come alongside as we ask these questions because a lot of times it's easier to leave the scale under the, uh, the vanity in the bathroom. You with me on that one? You know, my wife told me this week, where are you at, babe? My wife told me, she said, uh, I'm gonna get a battery for the scale. It hasn't worked in a while. I was like, Why? <laughs> you know why, and I know why, but hey, I faced the music. I've been doing some extra work, right? Because in order to know what to fix, you got to know what's wrong. And so we're going to allow the Holy Spirit. Look what uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11 says. We read this in Sunday school. So if you were here an hour ago, you'll, you know the context, which is great. It's a lot more full if you knew the, the whole chapter. We don't have time to read it again. Look what it says in Hebrews 12, 11. It says, now no chastening, which again is punishment for better behavior, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, once you get the part replaced, once you get the pulley fixed, once you get the, uh, re the uh, fluid re reinstalled, nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. So what a joy it is to be able to let the Holy Spirit rebuke us. What a joy it is to know what the scale says or to know what the problem is so that you might allow the word of God to change you. And then thereby having that piece of full fruit of righteousness. So if you're willing to step on the spiritual scales with me this morning and see what's going on in your life, again, the blessing of it is you're not going to have to answer publicly. I'm just going to ask you questions. There's no like ticker tack board that's going to be like marriage is bad, marriage is bad. Nobody's going to be able to see your answers. But let's be honest with ourselves this morning and we'll allow some, some questions to point out some truths and maybe some error in our own heart and life. We'll pray and then we're just gonna get right into some questions this morning and try to let the spirit work in us. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the church that you've given us, Lord. I'm 
I'm so grateful for these people, Lord. I'm thankful for their friendship. I'm thankful they are my family. I'm thankful that they, they are they're grace-filled following you. I pray, God, for a greater year to come. It's been a wonderful year, Lord. It's certainly not been without its difficulties. And I think of church families right now, even the Reese's, Lord, that are in a difficult season. I think about the Paces who are in a difficult season of health right now. And Lord, we just, we commit them to you. We pray, God, for a strong year this next year that our church would continue and advance the cause of Christ and, and carry forth the mission you've given to us. But Lord, if we're going to be a strong church, it's going to be because we have strong homes. If we're going to have strong homes, it's going to be because we're strong spiritually. And I pray, God, as we take a couple minutes this morning and tonight to just ask some questions, I pray your spirit will walk up and down the aisles and work in the individual hearts and lives and give them the comfort to answer honestly, give them the humility to answer honestly, and uh, myself as well. These are, these are tough questions, and uh, they're things that we need to look at, real basic areas of our life that just deserve this moment, January, uh, December 31st, close of the year. What a privilege to be in, in church on Sunday where we can face some of these things. And uh, I pray that you'd help us, God, to be honest and humble as we look at these questions. In Christ's name we ask, amen. So like I said, the new year presents a powerful opportunity just to be honest with ourselves. Uh, today's sermon, like I said, is going to be kind of two parts. It, think about it like a, a spectrum or a scale. It's going to be a bit of a gradient scale. This morning, we're going to start very interpersonal. We're going to start very close to the chest, very close to our own life. And then we're going to move with each question. We're going to move further out from ourselves and more into a corporate setting, right? So we're going to ask questions that diagnose the me. And then we're going to ask questions later on in the sermon. And then definitely tonight that, that diagnose the, the questions of, of we and us and so forth. So we're moving from us into a, a more corporate level of looking at our relationships outwardly versus our relationships inwardly. And each question is going to move further from that side over to this side. And so since basically I'm a mechanic now, um, we're going to stick with the illustration of, a, of an inspection. If you ever dropped your car off before, right, you're getting your, 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 your uh, oil changed and uh, they do this 21 point inspection, which is just them trying to sell you more stuff. Uh, but they'll top your fluids off and they'll look over here, they'll look over here, they'll look over here. That's what we're going to kind of do. We're going to pop the hood. We're going to look at eight, maybe seven. It depends on how, how tonight's sermon works out, but uh, eight or seven different things uh, across the scripture that we need to evaluate. Admittedly, the sermon is more topic-driven, and I, I think we'll all be okay with that. Uh, we're just going to ask some really important questions about some really important areas of your personal life, my personal life, and then our corporate lives, okay? So first question, are you ready? And I, I'm, I'm wording these personally, so I'm going to say the word my, but you're going you're gonna to think the word my in your context. So first question, are you ready? How was my relationship, and again, I'd encourage you to write these questions down, or at least the topics, how was my relationship toward the word of God? in 2023. So think about that in your particular life. Now, we're going to take a Selah moment to think. Now, let me, I love the word Selah. It appears 75 times in the Bible, uh, one time in the book of First Kings, and then three times in the book of Habakkuk. But then every other appearance of the word Selah happens in the Psalms, correct. The word Selah is so cool. Sometimes we'll say the word Selah means stop and think. And that's not incorrect, but it's not its, it's, not its direct meaning. The word Selah is actually a musical demarcation telling the singer to stop and breathe. Isn't that cool? Now, we just had uh, the uh, candlelight service, and uh, I, did, I sang in the guys' group, which to you sounds cool, to everybody in that group was laborious, okay? Uh, for all of our piano players in here, you know exactly why. I don't follow music, ever. I will hold a, uh, so there's, there's these things in music called quarter note pauses or half pauses or whole, whole note pauses, and you, you're supposed to stop for a determined amount of time, and I never do it the right way. 
And uh, I'm sorry to everybody who has ever sung with me. That's why you don't see me in a lot of groups because nobody wants to put up with me. Um, but a selah does this. It gets everybody to stop at the same time for the same amount of time to breathe. And it keeps the music in cadence. So think about that beautiful idea, spiritually speaking, that we can all in a moment, we're going to ask some questions and then we're going to take a selah moment where we're all going to stop. We're all going to collectively stay in in sync with each other and we're going to breathe and we're going to think and we're going to allow the word of God and the questions this morning to bathe over us and allow us to take some moments of introspection. And so this very first question that I want to ask, uh, and you can go to Psalm chapter 1. Many of you will know the verses that I'm going to read for, for you this morning in this particular instance. But Psalm 1 in a moment. But the very first question is, how did you do? How did I do in my relationship with the beautiful, forever settled in heaven, word of God? How did we do last year? Psalm chapter one, verse two says this, his delight, it talks about that man that doesn't stand in the the way of sinners and so forth, but it says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. Did we do that this year? Did, did Did we spend time in God's word each day? And he, the one who dwells and meditates day and night, he shall be like the tree planted by the river of water, uh, rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. You say, hey, this year I withered. Well, there may be the, that might be the diagnosis. That might be the reason. His leaf also shall not wither and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. So let me ask you this morning, how rooted and planted were you in the word of God this year? And listen, you don't have to fudge the numbers, okay? Like I said, there's no billboard across your face that tells everybody what your answer is. You can answer this question as brutally honest as you need to. It's just between you and Jesus. Nobody's gonna see that. But again, if we wanna diagnose the noise in our soul or the smell coming out of the the hood there, we're gonna have to get our hands dirty and figure out what the fault was. Probably most of us set out 364 days ago from today that we would read, that we would enjoy it, that we would spend time learning and growing in the Word of God. But your schedule and my schedule sometimes took over, didn't it? There there were times where it got filled with important stuff. We don't want to hear that, right? Because we know what that actually should be, the most important thing. But if we're honest with ourselves, again, nobody sees the answer unless you're like, oh, we'll probably know, okay? So just... Stone face me for a little bit, okay, as you think about these answers. Let's get more specific, okay? I'm not just going to ask you one question. I'm going to ask you some very diagnostic questions down the list. Here's the next question. What did we do with the Word of God this last year in our own lives? How did we employ it? How did we, was it the anvil upon which our decisions were, 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 were hammered out and decided? Did we memorize a single verse in 2023? The Bible says this. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid, buried in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. Did we memorize any scripture this last year? Selah. Let me ask you another question. Did we, and if so, when was the last time that we heard from God just from Bible reading? Not in sermons. And I'm for sermons. I'm for church. It's supplementary. I've said it so many times. It's the family gathering of mealtime, but you got to feed yourself every single day. And when is the last time in just reading your Bible, man, the Holy Spirit spoke to you? Oh, I can think of a passage right now that God just buried in my heart a few weeks ago about ruling and diligence and just being the person that I ought to be and the pastor I ought to be. And when's the last time the Spirit of God just, man, he grabbed your heart 
and said, you're not right. That's not right. What you're doing. Let me change this. Let me call you to this. When's the last time you heard from God with this book opened and nobody else around? Not the last time your parents corrected you, but teenagers, when's the last time God's word corrected you? Not the last time you heard a convicting sermon and a text explained. That's all good. God designed that. But he also designed you with the Holy Spirit and the same book that I've got. You, what I'm doing up here, you should be doing to yourself and with yourself every single day. You're preaching God's word to your own heart. You're letting it bathe over you, just like you would in a corporate setting. Next question. What did he show you personally in the word of God? This, this speaks less to life change, though, though natural study will lead to life change, but this speaks more to your study. What did, you, what did you reach into the word of God with like a shovel and say, man, I want to learn. I want to understand the book of Ecclesiastes. I want to dive into this particular text. When's the last time? And did that happen this year? And again, my heartbeat, please understand me. And I may have to remind us of this a couple times today. My heartbeat is not to say, it's broken. It's simply to come to the fuel pump and say, oh man, that thing is covered in fluid. That thing whines every time you turn the steering wheel. That's what's wrong. But that's not the end of it. God's desire and my desire this morning is that we would diagnose it. Why? Not so we could feel terrible, so we can change it, so that we can fix it. If this last year in 2023, you memorize no scripture, that ought to be a goal for you in 2024. If this last year, the only time you were fed from an open Bible was under the pulpit, uh, whether in Sunday school or Wednesday night or small classes, whatever, if that was the only time you heard from God through the word, 2024 ought to be different. We can make some changes. What did we study out? What passage do we have a better understanding of? Not because somebody taught us, and again, that's necessary, but because we, 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 we studied it out ourselves. Again, don't deflate too much. I have a very intentional purpose here. Here's the thing. Every one of us have defeats in this area, would be my, my guess. Uh, I don't think anybody in here will get to today and be like, nope, I read way too much this year. I think we would all say, yeah, I, I wish I had done more. Here's my hope. Here's my hope. And let me, let, me light, let me light a candle for you and a pathway forward. Here's my hope. My hope is that every one of us experienced at least some measurable victory in our relationship with the Word of God this year. I hope that every one of us could say, you know what? There was a time, it was all the way back in January, but there was this season where I started reading and God started bathing over me. And man, my marriage started becoming better and my attitude started becoming better and the Word of God started winning victories in me. And it was awesome. Okay, well, let me do this with you. Think on those moments. Weren't those moments victor victorious and flourishing? Weren't they? So here's what I'm trying to say. Chase that this next year. Even if you can only in honesty look back and say, well, it only happened for two weeks. But it happened. You know what it's like. And listen, to the Christian who knows what it's like to hear from God in the Bible, isn't that the craziest thing? Isn't it wild to go to the Bible with a burdened heart and it's, it just it becomes the greatest counselor you've ever had? I mean, more, it knows you and shines a light in your life and your heart better than any counsel or any meeting with anybody could do. When the word of God does that, that's the place your soul was made for. Your soul desires and longs after that. So if you have tasted that at all, chase that this year. Make that a goal. That you would spend your days flourishing as an inner man with the word of God. Let's chase this year pursuing a deep commitment to the scriptures and uh, desiring a deeper understanding of the Bible and allowing its words to not just cleanse our ways, but direct our ways and leaning not into our own understanding, but in all of our ways, acknowledging him and allowing him to direct our paths. So how do we do with the word of God? You ready to face question number two? Question number two, would you go to Psalm chapter 63? 
It's the next natural question. You probably could ask it for me, but how was my relationship with prayer in 2023? Nothing earth shattering, which again, in the setting, New Year's Eve, landing on a Sunday, I didn't expect to need to be earth shattering, just honest with ourselves. Nothing you've not ever thought of, but something we need to think of in this moment as we get ready to embark on to 2024. How was my relationship with prayer? Psalm chapter 63, verse number one says, O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. In 2023, can we honestly say that our soul thirsted like it needed water just to be in the presence of God? Can we honestly say that our flesh longed to come into his presence? Now, I'm going to give you this statement. You probably heard it before. It's not a perfect science. There's certainly some wiggle room, but it mostly holds true. Some folks have said that the word of God is how he speaks to me and that prayer is how I speak to him. Now, again, there's some wiggle room on that, but, but universally, that's for the most part very, very true. Prayer is where I get to go to God and unburden my heart. Now, 100%, God speaks to you in prayer. I, if you don't know how that works, we can talk about that and teach on that. But he will speak to you in prayer. It's not an audible voice. There's, there's no clouds parting in heaven, but there's a, his spirit bearing witness with our spirit and so forth. But when it comes to prayer, think about prayer and what it is. It is this irreplaceable oasis to the Christian. It's this place we can escape where nothing is broken. We, we don't have a lot of places like that, right? I can't think of a single place on earth where I can go where nothing's broken. You can drive the furthest into the mountains and you're still going to find trash on, the, on you know, the trail. But when a Christian gets to go into prayer, he's there and there's nothing broken in him. I guess I could say this, there is something broken there and it's us. But to be in the presence of God, there's nothing broken on that part of the equation. Heaven understands it and God does too. Prayer is a sacred place where even the heaviest soul can escape and find solace and comfort. There's not a place like that on the planet. There's not a comfort food on the planet that does what prayer can do for a soul. Prayer is the quiet and holy place where even the most tempted can go and find strength to overcome. Prayer is a forgiving place where even the furthest prodigal can come and find restoration and mercy. Listen, we don't, we don't often reconcile the, the reality that is the gift of prayer. Think about it. We, as fallen creatures, get to speak to a perfect God. And he bends his ear in our direction and hears us. What a cosmic gift. What an immeasurable reality and opportunity. What a privilege to be given access to a God we shouldn't have access to. What a privilege to make our burdens and petitions known to him in our prayer time. What a privilege. So let's ask. And I, again, it's hard to look in the mirror sometimes. This past year, how often did we utilize that unimaginable gift? Did a little bit of research. Pew Research did a study recently that said 55% of adults pray daily. A little higher for women than it is for men. A little higher for evangelicals than it is for, for other uh, denominations. Actually, unfortunately, the highest uh, group is actually Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. They're 90%. Are there people in a false church praying to a false god more than we're praying to the great God of heaven? That convicted my heart when I saw it. Again, it, when it comes to evangelicals, the number goes up to daily, in daily prayer to 75. But Mormons are 85 and JWs are 90%. Pray every day. And you and I have access to the God who formed us. Are we making use of that? I, it's such a convicting line in the song, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. 
of what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Walking with God is a gift. So Selah, pause and catch your breath. Did we take and make use of this invitation into his presence? Do we come before him with praise, not just petition, but praise and worship to him in our prayer time? Let me say this too, and, and, and this is more of a transitionary thought. Would you go to Micah chapter 6, verse number 8? I, I debated pre- preaching the whole message on this particular verse, what God requires of us. But I want you to think about this. Not only is prayer a privilege to the saint of God, did you know it's also a requirement? I hadn't really considered it this way. And it's not something that you have to do, but it is something that you have to do. Something God expects of you. Something God requires of you. Micah chapter 6, verse number 8 says, He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee? But to do justly, we'll talk about that in our very next question, and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. Do you know, Christian, that's an expectation of our creator to us, that we would walk in self-understanding that, man, I don't deserve to be in his presence, but I get to be, and so I'm going to be. Like I said, I debated preaching this whole message because it has a lot of the thoughts and questions that have been rolling around in my mind. This idea of doing justly is our third question. Here's our question. Ready? We'll step on the scale, and this one might be hard for some, and, and that's okay because nobody's seeing your answers. This is just you and Jesus today. Question number three, in 2023, how is my relationship with sin? Go to Galatians chapter five, would you please? Again, I'm not trying to beat anybody up. I'm just trying to get you to diagnose the right part so you don't change the wrong thing, right? You might be looking back on last year thinking, man, my marriage didn't work. And you know what it was? It was this when it's really that. This might be a big part of that equation. So let me ask as you turn into Galatians chapter five, how'd you do last year as it relates to your sin? What ground did you lose? What ground did you take? And, and if we're honest, and, and, and forgive me for being too honest if it bothers you, but if we're honest, we probably all have some area we gained and some areas we, we didn't do so well on. Now, again, the areas we gained does not offset the areas we lost. Well, you know, overall, you know, I'm, I'm better than I was. Well, good. That's, that's good. That's not a horrible thing, but that's not a justification for allowing, you know, this area of your life to stay stagnant, right? You, you can't offset. You can grow overall, but what grounds did we take? What ground did we lose? What bonds, by the grace of God, did you break this last year? And we're supposed to be taking inventory right now, not just, you know, listening to the sermon. What bonds did you break? What area did you come under bondage? Two weeks ago in a Sunday school, we saw Hebrews 12.1 about, uh, about the easily besetting sin. So I don't have time to preach over that, but we all have something we struggle with more than somebody else does. And I said it in that hour, and I'll say it again just briefly to kind of represent it. But some in the room, you're, you would be way more tempted by alcohol than I would be. Some in this room, you'd be more tempted, or I'd be more tempted by pride than you would be. We all have something we struggle with pretty hard. It's, it's harder for us to overcome that than it is to overcome this, right? When it comes to your besetting sin and mine, what was our relationship this last year? Did we move forward? Listen, nobody's going to reach sinless perfection, And that, again, is not a justification to stay where you are. We're never going to be perfect until we see him and we're made like him. But how are you doing? Are you growing? Look at Galatians chapter 5. Here's the expectation of God on us. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. Verse 23, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. But here's verse 24. 
but they that are Christ's. So if you're here today, Jesus has redeemed you. He is your savior. They that are Christ's, notice what they've done. They've crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. So when it comes to a Christian's relationship with sin, the father's expectation is that you would nail it to the cross. That you would not just nail the sin in the action, but that you would nail that desire for that sin. Not that you would just give up alcohol, but that you would, as as much as you can in walking in the spirit, you would nail that desire for it, that lust for it to it. Why? So that we could live in the spirit. And then we would walk in the spirit. And you know what the Bible says? If you walk in the spirit, you'll not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And perhaps that doesn't describe 2023 for you. Perhaps 2023 was a year of battles that you mostly lost in your area of sin. Well, I want to encourage you. What a joy to be able to come to a God who is abundant and rich in mercy, who is willing to bring you back. But you're going to need, here's your decision for 2023. If sin has been a a struggle for you this year, let me encourage you this. Repentance is going to need to define your 2024. Again, I share Paul's sentiment of 2 Corinthians. Please go there. 2 Corinthians chapter number seven. We'll read it in just a second. But in 2 Corinthians chapter seven, Paul, he's kind of struggling. He says like, hey, I I feel bad that you feel bad, but I, I don't feel bad that you feel bad that I pointed out your sin. And I kind of feel that way right now as each of us are kind of looking back over our year and some of us are more disappointed and think, man, I really struggle. And and again, my heart's desire as a pastor is not to make you feel sorry, just so you feel sorry and you're just a trash bag Christian. All right, you are dismissed. That's not my heart. It wasn't Paul's heart, certainly not the heart of the father. Notice what the Bible says. Paul captures it beautifully in 2 Corinthians 7, 8. He says, for though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent. Though I, I did repent. But I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice. Not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. Christian, look up here. When you stand on the scale, spiritually speaking, the goal is not just self-deprecation. Oh, I am so bad. I failed so much. That might be your reality right now, but it's not sorrow to self-destruction. It's sorrow to repentance that the goal is. It says, but that you sorrow to repentance, verse 9. And you were made sorry after a godly manner that you might receive damage and uh, uh, damage by us in nothing. Keep reading. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. The goal is not just to get on the scale, feel really bad for yourself, and then go eat a pint of ice cream because you feel bad. Right? We understand that doesn't help anything. That's, that's a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense, the exact same thing can happen. We can sit in a service like this and be like, oh, I did mess up, and you probably did. Don't go home and be like, I'm just not going to go to church anymore. That's not, what God, that's not godly sorrow. That's the sorrow of the world at work of death. The sorrow that is godly says, okay, yeah, you dropped the ball. Yeah, you lost some ground. Yeah, you struggled in this area. But let's go ahead and repent now, turn from it, and walk toward holy living and come back to God. And notice what it says in verse 11. For behold, this selfsame thing that you sorrowed after a godly sort. Notice what it creates, what carefulness it wrought in you. Yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge. In all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Godly sorrow brings you to a place where you clear yourself of your previous failings. That you have a vehement desire, that you are walking in rightness, that you get revenge on those years that you lost walking in sin. Listen, if your relationship with sin is what is causing the smoke to rise out of your engine bay last year, then go after that this next year. 
set it a goal to walk in freedom. To, to a new year and a new beginning coming out of Exodus or coming out of Egypt, coming out of bondage. And before we move to the fourth question, let's just Selah. No doubt there's an area in your heart, just like there is in mine. Well, mine aren't as bad as theirs. Stop, 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 stop. That's a gross misunderstanding of your personal relationship with Jesus. Your, your personal relationship with Jesus isn't about being better or less worse than someone near you. It's about being like Jesus. So how do we do in our moral purity this year? How about your contentment? Were there areas of your life this year that you just, you, you lost complete, you just abandoned contentment? How do we do in gossip in a critical spirit this year? What about our faithfulness to the house of God? Did we rob God in our giving this year? We're looking at the finances where there's a, Probably some, some ringing truth to that. How about your temper? Did you win the battle with pride this year? I'm sure you lost some, but you might have won overall. We have to own what we've done in order to know what we have to fix. So listen, I, I told you there's a gradient scale, and we, we're moving away from personal into corporate. I've got two more, and we've got, we've got time, so, so stay with me. Question one, how did we do last year in the Word? How do we do in prayer? How do we do in sin? Two more questions that all have to do with your closest relationships. Question number four, how was my relationship toward my spouse this year? (laughs) Take inventory. You're not looking at my life and I'm not looking at yours. I promise you I'm not looking at yours. I'm looking at mine. I'm trying to examine my, my wife and my relationship is the single most important earthly relationship that I possess. That's unequivocally biblically true. More important than my relationship with you is my relationship with her. More important than your relationship with me or them is your relationship with the person God gave you to be one flesh with. So how was your relationship this last year? First Peter 3, 7, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. And here's the thought I wanted to grab. It says, as being heirs together. Heirs, right? So me and my siblings are heirs to my parents' wealth. <laughs> they don't have any wealth. We'll receive that together, collectively. We're joint heirs. Well, God says that we, my wife and I, we are heirs together of the grace of life. What a beautiful thought. So how did you do in your single most important earthly relationship in 2023? Did you flourish overall? Now, again, that we, we all, every marriage this year definitely had struggles, right? Because you married a woman and because she married a man, okay? So both... <laughs> Both sides of that. We don't think like each other because she's lost. Or not, she's not lost. Okay, hopefully she's not lost because she's broken and you're broken. You got two broken people trying to be like Jesus, trying to love each other. We all had our struggles, but can we be honest? Overall, is your marriage stronger than it was at the beginning of the year? Or is it simply more scarred and bruised? Did we make it to 2024 just relieved we survived and didn't divorce? Or did we flourish? God's design for our marriage, again, is to be heirs together of the grace of life. I I know I used this illustration recently, so forgive me. But when we were in Alaska, there was this amazing sunset. And two of my dearest friends on the boat, and I've, I've never seen anything like it. I mean, there's like orcas in the back and the backlit of the mountains. And all I could think of was, I wish she was here. She's the one God gave me to inherit beauty with. He's the one God gave me to inherit the joys and the pain and the struggles, but to inherit the blessings of life. 
God designed that my time with her be sweet. God designed that my time with her be romantic. He didn't design home to be war. And like I said, marital conflict is inevitable, but please listen to me. It should be irregular. I'm going to say it again. Marital conflict is inevitable, but it should be irregular. It's possible. It is. I know that it is. It's absolutely possible. So let's see law our hearts for a moment. How have we done? Again, I'm not, I'm not platforming anybody or platforming my own marriage. How have we done this year? Men, how have you loved your wife this year? Does it reflect the love that Jesus had for the church? Women, how have we honored and reverenced our husband and his headship of our home? And I don't mean to get weird, but it's biblical, so let me ask. How has our romance been this year? In order to do better next year, we have to own what we did this year. How about conflict resolution? Again, weird sermon, right? We're just asking a bunch of questions. <laughs> but conflict resolution. Did the way we approach conflicts this last year glorify Jesus and bring us to a more and lasting peace together? This next year can be the greatest year of your marriage that you've ever had. And my hope is, my goal every, every year as a husband, is that 2024 will be the best year I've ever had. I, I would hope I could say 2023 was the best year we ever had maritally. I hope that in 2025, it it outpaces 2024. I'm positive that's God's design for you. And I'm positive God's design for me because God's design for marriage is nothing less than flourishing. Think about what John 10.10 says. The thief, Satan, cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's the goal of Satan. Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. That ought to be the definition of your marriage. Now, moving further into our final stop that, we stop that we have time this morning, still working out from our, our, our person to our closest personal relationships, the obvious next question, number five is, how was my relationship with my children in 2023? I will assert with all the authority of Scripture that the abundance principle applies to your child rearing as well. God's desire is that you might have an abundant relationship with your children. Listen, two words that God expects and describes our parental relationship should, is found, are found in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. It says, you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Let me give you the definition for those two words. And don't lose me. I know, that, I know it's been heavy, and I know we want to step off the scale and away from the mirror, but don't lose me here. The word nurture means training of the whole child, the mind and the morals. That's what nurture means, to train the mind and the morals. That's a parental responsibility. The word admonition means to train and disciple for belief and behavior. So the mind and the morals, the belief and the behavior. Listen, this doesn't happen and didn't happen last year without intentional parental engagement. If TV raised your children this year, nurture and admonition did not happen. So let's pop the hood and be honest with ourselves. How did we do as a parent? What moral training did we give them this year? What, what one-on-one did we sit down with our daughter or our son and train their behavior and train their beliefs and change their, or train their mind and train their morals for the Lord? Nurture and admonition of the Lord. What mental behavioral training did we impart intentionally? What attitudes did we carefully cultivate in them? What attitudes did we carefully try to weed out of them? What one-on-one conversations did we have with our children this last year? What spiritual decisions do you know? 
What spiritual decisions did they make this year? Did the TV or a teacher spend more time with your children than you this last year? Did your daughters become more virtuous and feminine this year because of your investment? That's not just a mom's job, that's a dad's job too. Did your sons become more capable and masculine because of your investment, both mom and dad? Mom, you ought to be trying to masculate your men, not emasculate your young men. Don't be the mama bear that never lets them skin their knee or never lets them face a conflict by themselves. Oh, fix everything for them. Don't do that. Teach them to be men. Teach them to face hard things. Dad, you should be encouraging them to do hard things too. Our children are the product of our investment. And that investment ought to be intentional. And listen, here's another word, holistic. It's the training of the whole child. It's the training of the mind and the morals. It's the discipling and the training of the beliefs and the behavior. And like I said, I know looking in the mirror in these questions of my walk with God, prayer time and Bible time and my relationship with sin and my relationship with my family, those are hard things to examine. And you may think, I'm not coming back tonight. (laughs) Basketball, okay. Um, My hope is that we would recognize that we have a high and holy calling, yes, but we also have an abundance of grace that makes us different, that can change us and can grow us. And if we're going to do the jobs personally with us, and personally with us, and then tonight, personally with us, we're going to need to be honest with ourselves and how we did. We're going to need to own it. We're going to need to examine it. We're going to need to stare at the scale and realize what I've been doing is not right, and i got to change it. If we're ever going to see something different this year than we had last year, let's pray.